This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Susan. Bohemian San Francisco, The Elegant Art of Dining by Clarence Edwards. Section 8. Artistic Japan. We wish it were in our power to describe a certain dinner as served us in a Japanese restaurant in the days that followed the great fire. Desiring to observe in fitting manner a birthday anniversary, we asked a Japanese friend if he could secure admission for a little party at a restaurant noted for serving none but the highest class Japanese. We did not even know where the restaurant was, but had heard of such a place, and when we received word that we would be permitted to have a dinner there, we invited a newspaper friend who was in the city from New York, together with two other friends, and the Japanese, who was the editor of the Soko Shimbun. He took us to a dwelling-house in O'Farrell Street, having given previous notice of our coming. There was nothing on the outside to indicate that it was anything but a residence, but when we were ushered into the large front room we found it beautifully decorated with immense chrysanthemums, and glittering with silver and cut glass on a magnificently arranged table. In deference to the fact that all but our Japanese friend were unaccustomed to chopsticks, forks were placed on the table as well as the little sticks that the Orientals use so deftly. At each place was a beautiful lacquer tray, about twelve by eighteen inches, a pair of chopsticks, a fork, and a teaspoon. Before the meal was over, several of us became quite expert in using the chopsticks. When we were seated, in came two little Japanese women, in full native costume, bearing a service of tea. The cups and saucers were of a most delicate blue and white ware, with teapot to match. Our first cup was taken standing, in deference to a Japanese custom, where all drank to the host. Then followed sake, in little artistic bottles and sake cups, that hold not much more than a double tablespoonful. Sake is the Japanese wine made of rice, and is taken in liberal quantities. At each serving, someone drank to someone else, then a return of the compliment was necessary. Having always heard that Orientals turned menus topsy-turvy, we were not at all surprised when the little serving-women brought to each of us two silver plates and set them on our trays. These plates contained what appeared to be cake, one seeming to be angel food with icing, and the other fruit cake with the same covering. With these came bowls of soup, served in lacquerware, made of glutinous nests of swallows, and also a salad made of shark fins. We ate the soup and salad, and found it good, and then made tentative investigation of the cake. To our great surprise, we discovered the angel food to be fish, and the icing was shredded and pressed lobster. The fruit cake developed into pressed dark meat of chicken, with an icing of pressed and glazed white meat of the same fowl. Following this came the second service of tea, this time in cups of a rare yellow color and beautiful design with similar teapot. The next course was a mixture of immature vegetables, served in a sort of sauté. These were sprouting beans, lentils, peas, and a number of others with which we were unfamiliar. The whole was delicately flavored with a peculiar sauce. After a short wait, during which the sake bottle circulated freely, one of the women came in bearing aloft a large silver tray on which reposed a mammoth crayfish, or California lobster, 
This appeared to be covered with shredded coconut, and when it was placed before the host for serving, he was at a loss, for no previous experience told him what to do. It developed that the shredded mass on top was the meat of the lobster, which had been removed, leaving the shellfish in perfect form. It was served cold with a peculiar sauce. Now followed the piece de resistance. A tub of water was brought in, and in this was swimming a live fish, apparently of the carp family. After being on view for a few minutes it was removed, and soon the handmaidens appeared with thinly sliced raw fish, served with soy sauce. Ordinarily one can imagine nothing more repulsive than a dish of raw fish, but we were tempted and did eat, and found it most delicious, delicate, and with the flavor of raw oysters. Next came the third service of tea, this time in a deep red ware. Then came a dessert of unusual flavor and appearance, followed by preserved ginger and fruit. It must be remembered that during the meal, which lasted from seven until past midnight, Saki was served constantly, yet no one felt its influence in more than a sense of increased exhilaration. It is customary to let the emptied bottles remain on the table until the close of the meal, and there was a mighty showing. It was impossible to eat all that was set before us, but Japanese custom forbids such a breach of etiquette as an indication that the food was not perfection. Consequently, the serving maids appeared bearing six carved teak boxes and placed one at each plate. Into these we arranged the food that was unconsumed, and when we went away we carried it with us. To cap the climax the Japanese stripped the room of its bounteous decoration of chrysanthemums and piled them into our arms, and we went home loaded with food and flowers. Proprietor and all his household accompanied us to the door with many bows and gesticulations, wishing us best of luck and we went back to our homes in the desolated city with the feeling of having been transported to fairyland of the Orient. We discovered later that our Japanese friend was of the family of the Emperor and was here on a diplomatic mission. Old and New Palace One cannot well write a book on Bohemian restaurants of San Francisco without saying something about the great hotel whose history is so intimately intertwined with that of the city since 1873, when William C. Ralston determined that the city, by the Golden Gate, should have a hotel commensurate with its importance. San Francisco and the Palace Hotel were almost synonymous all over the world, and it was conceded by travelers that nowhere else was there a hostelry to equal this great hotel. To the bon vivant the grills of the Palace Hotel contained more to enhance the joy of living than anywhere else, and here the chefs prided themselves with providing the best in the land, prepared in such perfect ways as to make a meal at the Palace the perfection of gastronomic art. There are three distinct eras to the history of the Palace Hotel, the first being from 1876 to 1890, the second from 1890 to 1906, and the third from 1906 to the present day. In the earlier days the grills, both that for gentlemen and that for ladies, were noted for their magnificent service and their wonderful cooking. A breakfast in the ladies' grill with an omelet of California oysters, toast, and coffee was a meal long to be remembered. Possibly the most famous dish of the old palace was this one of omelet with California oysters, and it was prepared in the following manner oyster omelet for two. Take six eggs, 
one hundred California oysters, one small onion, one tablespoon of butter, one tablespoon of flour, salt and pepper to taste. Beat the eggs to a froth and stir in the onion chopped fine. Put the eggs into an omelet pan over a slow fire. Mix the flour and butter to a soft paste with a little cream and stir in with the oysters, adding salt and pepper to taste. When the eggs begin to stiffen, pour the oysters over and turn the omelet together. Serve on a hot plate with a dash of paprika. This is the recipe of Ernest Arbogast, the chef for many years of the old palace. The slightly coppery taste of the California oysters gives a piquancy to the flavor of the omelet that can be obtained in no other way. And those who once ate of Arbogast's California oyster omelet invariably called for it again and again. We asked Jules Dovier, present chef of the palace, for the recipe of what he considered the best dish now prepared at the palace, and he said he would give us two, as it was difficult to decide which was the best and most distinctive. These are the recipes as he wrote them for us. Planked Filet Mignon Trim some select filet mignon of beef, about four ounces of each, nicely. Sauté these in a frying pan with clarified butter on a hot fire. Dress on a small round plank, about four and a half inches in diameter, decorated with a border of mashed potatoes. Over the filet mignon pour stuffed pimentos covered with a sauce made of fresh mushrooms, sautéed, over which has been poured a little Chateaubriand sauce. Serve Chateaubriand sauce in a bowl. The second is cold filet of sandabs, palace. Select six nice fresh sandabs. Raise the fillets from the bone, skin, and pare nicely, and season with salt and paprika. Arrange them in an earthenware dish. Cut in julienne one stalk of celery, one green pepper, one cucumber, two or three tomatoes, depending on their size. With the bone of the sandab well cleaned, make a stock with one bottle of Riesling, juice of one lemon, and seasoning. Add chervil and tarragon. Season to taste and cook the julienne ingredients with some of the stock. When the rest of the stock is boiling, poach it in the fillets of sandab, then remove from the fire and let get cold. Put the garnishing around the fillets and put on ice to get in jelly. When ready to serve, decorate around the dish with any kind of salad you like and with beets, capers, olives, and marinated mushrooms. This must be served very cold, and you may serve mayonnaise sauce on the side. We asked Dovier what he considered his most delicate salad, and he gave us this recipe. Palace Grill Salad Select three hearts of celery and cut them julienne. Cut some pineapple and pimentos into dice. Mix all well together in a bowl and add mayonnaise sauce and a little whipped cream. Sprinkle some finely chopped green peppers on top and serve very cold. End of section 8